Miracle Day, Episode 4, Escape to LA. I'm Caleb Woodbridge, and I'm PG Bell. Uh, we're into the fourth episode of Miracle Day, uh, reaching close to the halfway point. Uh, and how, how do you feel it's developing? Um, well, as we've said in previous weeks, things have been a little slow to kick into gear. Um, but I think the shift in location this week, the move from the east to the west coast, helps keep things fresh. It keeps things interesting. It's nice to see the Torchwood team finally taking a more proactive stance and actually being mm-hmm. the centre of the action for once. Um, whereas the characters who have been more interesting, like Oswald Danes and... Uh, and all the medical side of things sort of push more into the background. So it's it's the balance is shifting more in the right direction, and the introduction of some family lives and some um, yeah sort of surrounding stories for the characters is a, is a welcome addition as well. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. Um, I think uh, the it does continue to to build things up and it does progress uh, quite nicely in this uh, episode it does uh, dig into the characters and their uh, background uh, a bit more uh, I think I'd qualify that with what we've been saying quite commonly so far uh, it's not perhaps quite hitting its potential not quite living up to children of earth standards but mm. uh, it's uh it is uh, entertaining. It's it's watchable. Uh, it's still got that sense of fun. Gwen's American accent, uh, for example. Yes, it is still funny. Yes, that, that's that's very good to see. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's got um, quite a lot going for it, but with perhaps the the same ongoing weaknesses as mm. we've seen <laughs> so far. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a little less aimless than the last week's, but it's it's not quite punching with its full weight yet, is it? Mm-hmm. Well, let's get uh, started with the commentary. If you're watching along at home, press play now. So here's our opening sting again, with the uh, world population steadily increasing. Um... I did see an interesting news article this week that estimates the world population will actually hit 7 billion this month. Oh. So we're already ahead of the count on <laughs> the Miracle Day opening credits. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten there had been some mention of Esther's sister in the previous mm. week. It had uh, set up uh, what we get in the opening scenes with her trying to uh, contact her family. Yeah, because um, I think this opening scene with Esther is uh, is very strong. Mm, yes, very good opening indeed. We've got the mysterious triangle, which we see more of. Uh, yes, this episode. Um, yes, so we begin with Esther, and it is good to uh, see Esther being developed more as a character because she has been. Uh, p- perhaps a little on the bland 
Yes, as, as Swithin's pointed out previously, she is mostly there to advance the plot and ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the Doctor Who companions of old. Mm. Um, so it's good to see that she does actually have a life yeah. outside of the plot. So lots of luck. <laughs> now, what do you think of the way that this is developed through the episode? I th- it, now, obviously, we haven't seen subsequent hmm. episodes yet, but I thought uh, that it all came to a dramatic head rather quickly. Uh, the, this whole plot with her sister did seem to be a one-episode wonder. Now, it might have ramifications hmm. later on. But this this initial meeting was so strong, I was a little disappointed that we didn't see more of it later. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's notable that uh, things set up last week uh, aren't developed at all, such as the soulless, which we I think we completely forgot to mention in our discussion. Yes, that's true. Now, uh, the, the soulless were a big part of the marketing campaign prior mm. to the series airing, and there were uh, flash mobs with soulless masks mm. and placards and things marching around various US cities. Uh, and they featured very heavily in the trailer, didn't they? Yes. But, uh, no, not a single mention this week. Uh, and they didn't exactly do much of them last week. No. Uh, so uh, it's a really nice image, and I like the idea of um, just how people are reacting and sort of those uh, what people would take to be the spiritual implications mm. uh, of the miracle uh, but uh, yeah hopefully they'll, they'll come back to that but it does seem a bit odd the way things get um, dropped there's still a bit of a, a situation of the week feel to yes, this yes there's a bit of disconnect between these episodes isn't there so yeah, so I think I do think this is very strong, but yeah, they could have um, developed it further. It's good to see that they're giving us some more emotional meat to chew on. Yeah, as opposed to just being the affable, dim-witted innocent. And contrary to some of the things that happen later in this episode, it's quite understandable why she would risk breaking mm. cover yes. to go and uh, and reach out to her sister. Now, this is something that they uh, they stretch a little bit too far. I, I'm, I'm not quite willing to suspend my disbelief as far as they want me to as the episode progresses. Mm. But here, I, th- I think it works very well. Yes. it's um, she's, she's got the motivation to do it, and so it does work. Um, dramatically, and especially since it does set up the rest of the episode with them being tracked by um, Sinister Henchman guy. Oh, sinister Henchman in Sinister Henchman car with Sinister Henchman screen in the dashboard and Sinister Henchman sunglasses. <laughs> Seriously, could, could you get a more off the peg villain? <laughs> yeah. This, this is something we'll, we'll go into in greater depth as the episode progresses because uh, it reaches <laughs> silly heights or depths depending on your point of view. Uh, so do you think in phoning the um, s- social services or the child protection services she was 
uh, in some way trying to hit back at her sister for not allowing her in? Or because um, I, I think on a, on a first watch, I, I just assumed that it was a it was genuine concern for mm. her uh, for the children, which I'm sure it is. But I get the impression it's mixed with a certain amount of personal venom. Mm, perhaps uh, I, I I didn't pick that up, but it's certainly an interesting uh, take on it. And her later comments do uh, sort of um, her guilt seems to throw her altruism into question somewhat. Right, and here we are, Los Angeles waterfront, Venice Beach, and tonally this is. Geographically, obviously, it's a big shift away from um, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Tonally, it is as well. It's got this sort of faded carnival atmosphere. You know, you've got the living statues, you've got people dressed as hippies, you've got people rollerblading, enjoying the beach, the surf. Doesn't seem to be any particular concern <laughs> about Miracle Day or the fact that the government has fallen silent or anything. Well, you've got the Dead is Dead posters. There are some Dead, dead is Dead posters, yes, which is this week's version of the Soulless, apparently. Yeah, it seems to disappear somewhat next week. Um, uh, so what, what do you think of shifting this... Shifting the action to the West Coast. Now, of course, the whole thing almost is filmed in Los Angeles on various backlots and studios. Mm. Uh, so all they've done is taken the cameras out to the studio lot and onto the beach. But in, in what builds itself as a gritty urban thriller, it's very refreshing change. As I said, I think as we're reaching this halfway point, I do think having things in, in full daylight like this is a, is a welcome change. I'm not sure if it works quite the way they're expecting it to, though. Yeah, um, I, I certainly think just in terms of variety and giving the episode its own uh, feel and identity, mm. uh, it does work partly. partly. But yeah, the, you do seem to lose some of the sense of urgency that you had in, certainly in the... Um, opening episode with Gwen's paranoia mm. and stuff. There seems to be, uh, they seem remarkably chilled out. Yes, they, they they seem to be enjoying. I mean, Gwen says, "Oh, we've reached the edge of America." Well, yes, that's true. And there is a comment coming up fairly soon. I think about the fact that they're not on vacation; they are there on a mission. Mm. Um, but they seem to be acting <laughs> as though they're on vacation, to be honest. They've gone and stood on the beach and stared out at the surf. And we've just seen a man dressed as a pirate on roller skates playing a mandolin waltz past <laughs> in the background. It doesn't scream global conspiracy end of the world. Well, think, I, I, I think if the characters were reacting uh, more to to it, then that would work yes. well. I, They're I don't, terribly relaxed. Yeah, I just don't think the characters' behaviour quite sells it. No, they're all terribly clean, they're all looking fresh and perky and happy to be there. And now we've got the um, looking around uh, the hospital, Dr Vera uh, is part of this group, where do they put all the uh, things now there seems to be some rather on the nose and unsubtle comments here about uh, well this is always how uh, the West has treated its undesirables. Or, yes, um, and yeah, uh, we heard them into playhouses. Yeah, and locked the doors. 
um, hmm. which uh, it's raising some interesting issues, but perhaps is slightly clumsy about it. But how how, how do you feel it's developing just in terms of the themes and the questions it's raising here? In terms of the themes and the questions, uh, once again, I think it's evidence that the series is more interested in these, what are are effectively peripheral characters Mm. um, and issues than it is in the Torchwood team. I I know I've already said that it's good to see Torchwood themselves taking uh, a greater role centre stage and being mm. more proactive and going on their first proper mission this episode. But in terms of character moments, in terms of the complexities of plot and nuance and subtleties of ethical questions and the wider implications of this high concept mm. hook that the whole series is hanging off, it still seems to be... Um, it's, it's being far developed far more effectively in these side stories, in the medical dramas. Dr. Vera Juarez gets all the most interesting stuff. Yeah. The torture don't seem to be engaging directly with the impact of no, the miracle. It's a, outside of it. It's a bit of a, of a move. The, again, for people who want to keep a low profile they're being very obvious about the fact that they want to keep a low profile <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the guy there is quite <laughs> it's, it's, that, that man started that scene completely straight and by the time he finished <laughs> oh good grief the amazing Jack Harkness effect <laughs> going back to trying to keep a gritty urban tone when you're on the west coast of Venice Beach. If you compare this to something like Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, mm. which had a very similar setup. It had Sarah Connor and family uh, living under the radar, down and out in some quite deprived areas of Los Angeles. And that did feel gritty and run down. And whenever they stepped outside, uh, you were worried that they were going to be detected. Mm. They had to constantly watch their backs. And here, Gwen has stepped outside to have a, a nice chat with Reese, who's lying in his pants on the sofa at home. It's as if they're not undercover at all. Mm. This is where I think it should have been a, you know, a little more tightly reined in in the writing. She shouldn't just be able to pick up a phone and talk to him. Which, and, and for all the talk about, oh, West is bouncing satellites off Chinese, well, bouncing signals off Chinese satellites... It's yeah, it's paying lip service to the fact that you know they've got to try and keep a low profile, but she's not doing very well. Yeah, it, this guy snapping photos away. It's, yes, at, at least they are sort of being caught out by it. This is but, true, but they're being caught out by the most again derivative. Um, off the peg comedy henchman you could <laughs> you could possibly have to come up with. I was quite surprised to see Reese um, quite so relaxed and in his element yeah. at home as well, especially because the last time we saw him, he was being bundled into the back of a police car, um, and Baby Anwen was being carried off. And mm. Everything seems to be fine at home now. 
but this is going to become a recurring theme through this episode. Like everyone except Jack, who has no family left, is going to have heart-to-heart moments with you know, the nearest and dearest at highly inappropriate moments. Here there's a token attempt to explain exactly why uh, Jack and the team are taking such an interest in uh, Oswald Danes. Apparently patterns are forming around him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> Jack's had a peek at the scripts and he knows that uh, he's going to prove important by the end. Yeah, and for for all of the, the, the faux poetry that, you know, they, Jack tries to inject this with, it makes no sense. <laughs> really. He's just a chap who got interviewed. <laughs> He's an internet, internet celebrity. Yeah. Does that I, mean that the Nyarkat on YouTube is also having <laughs> significant patterns forming around it? Although you can now find a TARDIS version of the Nyarkat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's a very good YouTube uh, downfall parody um, in anticipation of Let's Kill Hitler. Oh, I, I, I think there are a couple of those. I saw one of them. Yes. So, yeah. Did you also see the one where um, Hitler reacts to the news that DC Comics are rebooting their entire range to issue one? <laughs> no. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Um, Speaking of Hitler, did you see that um, Stephen Moffat was forced to put out a... Um, a comment last, a press release this past week um, confirming that Doctor Who is not pro-Hitler after some fans reacted badly mm. to the trailer. <laughs> I didn't see that. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, uh, in other news, I do have a ticket to the BFI screening of Let's Kill Hitler. Ah, you lucky devil. I have since booked that day off work as well. But, uh, <laughs> all the tickets had gone before I could get um, So... Uh, we will be reporting from that. I'll be <laughs> reporting from that. <laughs> I'll be watching your Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, ah. But we've got the double act of um, uh, Lauren Ambrose yes. and Bill Pullman. Who are both still acting their socks off. But there has been a complete turnaround in her in her um, reaction to Oswald Danes this week. Because... Mm. Uh, yeah, last week she couldn't do enough to get him on board and kept telling him how important he was and how badly she wanted to work with him and the difference he could make and now that she's actually working with him she can't seem to stand the man <laughs> there does seem to be yeah, quite a divorce between her you know, the interplay between the two characters this week and last week although that does change later on when he becomes uh, yeah, after the scene in the hospital mm-hmm. with the young girl where he becomes more of a success again and she seems to warm to him uh, once more, so perhaps it's deliberate. Yeah, I, I, I certainly got that impression that this was now that she's got him on board. Now she's stuck with working with him. She sort of shows her true feelings a bit more. I uh, see. I thought she was quite happy working to be working with him as long as his star is on uh, the mm. ascendant. But as soon as he starts to do badly in the ratings, she, you know, she, you know, the contempt starts to creep in. Yeah. Yeah, that too. And it's only when he trumps the Tea Party member later on that uh, she walks to him again. Yeah, well, uh, a Tea Party, very topical with all the uh, budget, uh, debt ceiling stuff that's been going on uh, recently. Uh, America 
uh, maxing out its credit card and the Tea Party not wanting to let it uh, borrow any more money to teach uh, the country a lesson, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though it'll be the poor people and not the rich people uh, uh, suffering as a result. Mm. Uh, It is a qualified success for the Tea Party, which um, there's been some discussion on BBC News this week uh, that the depiction of the Tea Party in Britain in particular and in Europe as a whole, Mm. um, the the media likes to portray them as a slightly nutty fringe group. and so has been reacting with some surprise that they've, they've actually got this much political clout. But of course, yeah, they have been quite a viable political force in the US for quite some time. And I'm sure that they're not all as nutty as uh, yeah. British news likes to make out, because we do tend to portray the United States as a bit of a freak show when it comes to our news. Mm. I, I think, yeah, America is a lot more culturally uh, to the right of Britain. Oh, yes. And uh, so there is that uh, culture gap. And there is no denying that it is a culture, a country of extremes. Yes. Um, We only tend to see the real extremes over mm. here. Yeah. I I mean, I I, I can sort of see, uh, just intuitively, uh, if you're in debt, stop borrowing does make... (laughs) Common yes. sense. Mm, uh, it's, uh, but um, I can, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the the figures, the debt figures of trillions of pounds are rather mind-boggling. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, did, did you think that this was um, a? convincing line of argument that someone from the Tea Party would be likely to take? Um, well, it's, it's never actually officially stated that she's speaking for the Tea Party as a whole no. movement. She seems to be more of an independent who's come out of the Tea Party uh, or has risen from it. Um, I don't know enough about the Tea Party as a whole, mm. to be honest, to be able to say with any conviction. Um, I think it is a very interesting line of argument and I think it's only right that they should have somebody yeah. um, in the show who's actually voicing that. Um, and I, I don't know the actress's name but it's very well played. Uh, I'm just disappointed that the character doesn't actually come to more you know, this episode. I mean, I don't think we'll be seeing her again after what happens to her. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, she, she's a very interesting character who makes a very good argument, but to no particular purpose in the end. Because mm. the thing that struck me was that I'd have associated the Tea Party with a anti-euthanasia, pro-life approach. Mm. So I wasn't entirely sure whether that... It it wasn't quite what I'd have expected coming from the quarter I, I'd have expected. Mm. Uh, and it seems to me quite interesting. Um, I mean, the whole euthanasia debate's quite live uh, in the UK. You've had documentaries recently like Terry Pratchett and stuff, and it is a, a big... Um, emotional issue Uh, and I've been quite surprised that the way the show seems to be going so far with oh look at the way we treat the dead and those we don't um, want that it sort of comes across 
uh, mildly anti-euthanasia, which, given Russell T. Davies' general politics and mm. approach, I wouldn't have thought. I'm not sure whether that's deliberate, uh, and perhaps it'll go in different directions, but uh, just, uh, yeah, it's interesting how that's playing out. But we're completely missing Rex and his dad at Ah, the yes, which is another terrific scene. Um, again, very, very strongly played by mm. both actors. And after having um, seen... Oh, sorry, what's the name of the actor who plays Rex? Uh, Mecky Pfeiffer. Mecky Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer. Um, after having seen him basically doing a comedy shtick in episode one, this is this is you know, mm. right at the other end of the scale. It's yes. hard, it's serious, it's heartfelt. Um, and it's brilliant. I mean, both mm. actors are very good here. Yeah. And it seems that CIA agents as a whole have seriously messed up family lives. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. Another thing with... Um, Rex watching the news and seeing the whole dead is dead mm. thing that does help ground it in terms of just showing uh, this affects people and yes. this isn't an abstract discussion but you're sort of um, writing off uh, living well mm. sentient yes uh, not qu- human fully dead yet people yeah, and as as you said, the Torchwood team so far seems to be mostly unaffected by the impact of the miracle. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's through Rex that it's you know, finally making its way into their mm-hmm. section of the storyline. And uh, now they where do you think they ordered this server? <laughs> uh, do you think they just went onto Amazon and uh, yeah. bought it? I mean, is there a Radio Shack around the corner? Uh, and Reese, after after being wonderful in Children of Earth and episode one of this is back to being the comedy house husband yeah bit of daddy daycare (laughs) see I think this episode would have been stronger if we'd actually had part of the narrative set in Wales following Reese, and if he had still been under p- mm. close police surveillance because they must know that Gwen is going to try and contact him or he's going to try and contact yeah. Gwen at some point. Again, I think he's too comfortable at home there with baby Anne when he's too laid back. He should be you know, trying to get out from whatever the government's got him under. He should be trying to get mm. in touch with Gwen. He should be there at the hospital with Gwen's father looking after him. We should be seeing events on the ground from his point of view. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I think one of the things Children of Earth did uh, very well was uh, having the family members and ordinary people, the school mm. kids and stuff, and so you got the view down from the level of uh, from Parliament through to uh, a Welsh housing estate yes. and that the whole spectrum and whereas we don't seem to have that ordinary family perspective mm. on the miracle here mm. right. now here we have a sort of comedy spy moment they did this in the Charlie's Angels movie <laughs> this entire scene where, where, they're, where they're getting the voice print and the iris recognition and the fingerprints that they need to break into this top secret 
server room. This entire scene lifted completely <laughs> from, from McGee's first Charlie's Angels movie. James Willits, you're listening to this. You know what I mean. <laughs> I can't say I've had the did, pleasure. Did Captain Jack just stay up last night with a stack of DVDs? <laughs> going through them trying to find solutions to their problem from, that, from popular that, spy cave. That would explain a lot about <laughs> torture it. We do have to give a big double thumbs up to Gwen's American accent. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. And again, it's it's another case of torture covering a fairly clunky scene with a decent dose of humour and yes, that's fine, alright, it works. There are only so many times they can get away with it, though, to be honest. Yeah. In the Charlie's Angels movie, it was um, Bill Murray and uh, the Angels dressed as um, a sort of lederhosen umpa band. <laughs> well, at least and, we did it, have uh, John Barryman dressed yeah. as a lederhosen <laughs> well, umpa band. Um, it could have been worse. <laughs> And things go from bad to worse at the hospital. Very quickly, it has to be said. There's not even much of a pretense at it being a normal hospital trying to help people. They are just dumping people and then abandoning them, aren't they? Mm. And once again, Dr. Quaro seems to be the only person who cares or can actually do anything about it. Hey. Yeah. The latest, as well as the impractical footwear, she's wearing her hair very long and loose yes. for a doctor. Yes. I, I it's a Hollywood doctor because she still has to look stunningly attractive <laughs> and terribly feminine, even when. Yeah. And she's not covered in mucus or vomit or feces or blood or anything like that. It's also notable just how much makeup Esther is wearing for a woman on the run, <laughs> slumming it in a. You know, semi-demolished house somewhere in the. Got to get your priorities right. <laughs> yes, her hair is immaculate. Her makeup is flawless. Oh, she should be a member of Torchwood. <laughs> Please make Doctor Quire as a member of Torchwood. She's so good. Well, you do have the bit from the trailer about her saying, sign me up for whatever you're trying to do to stop the miracle, oh, right. which we haven't um, haven't had yet. Mm. So. There have been various um, comments on the fact that the White House and the government are silent on the issue of the miracle. Yeah. Do we think that this is um, playing into something that's going to be more significant later on? Because it's very unusual that the government should say, nothing at all mm. about what's happened. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there's a very strong anti-corporate evil like or thing going on, mm. but uh, the governments aren't coming uh, at all well out of it. They seem to have abdic abdicated all responsibility to FIC or to mm. uh, big business, which does seem to be uh, something of a comment. Yes, um, but yeah, I I do wonder whether I I hope that will there will be more of a reason for that. Yeah. I get the impression it might just be that uh, uh, having the government intervene officially would just be uh, 
would complicate the story mm. from the writer's point of view, and so they're simply ignoring them and hope we don't notice. <laughs> but we could be wrong about that. Right, now here comes Oswald Dane's Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes, stealing the limelight from uh, Ellis Hartley Monroe. Mm. And very nicely done. Again, this this is where the real drama is happening. I'm a little disappointed mm. that Torchwood on their first mission. Um, you haven't you've you've seen a couple of episodes of Chuck, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's um the the spy and espionage sections of Torchwood this week really could have come from Chuck, which prides itself on spoofing the spy genre <laughs> week by week and comes up with sort of deliberately generic uh, situations with slightly outlandish solutions. Um, but I really do think that the whole raid on the server room could have come, could have fit quite easily into an episode of Chuck, especially the henchman you know, with the, the sleek black car and his ominous phone calls <laughs> and the whole speech is like, my masters are everywhere. They're watching everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yes, uh, ominous build up your um, villains, generic stuff. So much so that um, there was speculation that uh, the villains of uh, Miracle Day might be the silence because it's somewhat similar to the generic um, we're so evil stuff uh, that yeah. the silence have. We are always. We are everywhere. <laughs> uh, so I am surprised that we haven't seen any sort of overt alien intervention. Yeah. By this point, it really is playing it as close to, a, despite the high concept, as close to a human drama as it possibly can, um, which, which is admirable in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, especially because I, I always thought one of the. I always thought that Torchwood in its first two series didn't differentiate itself enough from Doctor Who. It should have been playing uh, on human drama with human villains to a greater extent. With extraterrestrial Mm. and bizarre influences, yes, but I don't think it should have been doing Monster of the Week, which it did Mm. far too often. Um, But now we're almost halfway through, and I is getting to the point where I'm thinking, this is all good, but some aliens would be nice. (laughs) But then I'm fickle like that. It, it, it seems strange that they're getting so excited all the way from behind the barrier. Can they even see I him don't properly think from they there? Can, no, unless I've got the layout of the building completely yeah. wrong. But he just looks to be completely out of sight. <laughs> there was just there was just a those windows. I'm sure from the shots we had outside, didn't overlook that concourse that bit mm. of pavement. Now, we've we've spoken, you know, especially towards the end of David Tennant's era on Doctor Who, about Russell T. Davis's tendency to uh, deify the Doctor, and despite all his talk about man doesn't need religion or any kind of messiah figure to create his own on the shows. Well, yeah, I, I mean, there does seem to be a comment on how... We uh, we create messiah figures. How we latch on to people as mm. 
Messiah figures, um, whereas uh, for all his protestations in Doctor Who, the Doctor does come across as an actual Messiah figure very often. And that's another shout-out to Acting Baby, who smiles and waves (laughs) right on cue. See, this is a good moment because it brings the threads of all these separate characters you know, that we've been following off and on through the episode together into this one moment, and they're all playing off each other. So you've got Oswald, you've got Jilly, who's now triumphant again, you've got the mm. Tea Party Lady, you've got uh, you know, Dr. Juarez there briefly as well, you know, expressing her disgust. So yeah, this is where the actual drama is happening. And you've got her, now you've got her being drugged, and this is back to the sort of henchman, uh, yes, spy thriller one hundred and one type right. stuff. But the scene we've got coming up, her her fate is quite uh, nicely gruesome. Yes, again, see that puts an interesting, tortured specific twist on what is again uh, a terribly tried and tested. Um, spy thriller mm. death I mean everyone every series and every film almost has had somebody put in a car and then stuck in a crusher mm. and I did like this this is a very nice contrast to Jack and Gwen's method of yes. getting his print I suppose it's a little it would be a little too much of a coincidence to have two complete strangers come up to you in the park and pretend that they know you <laughs> and hand you a coffee it, to hold yeah. to. It, it had occurred to me that if we stay, um, if they're all staying alive, you could just chop off the hands and the head yes. and <laughs> take them along. <laughs> it's uh, you might want to change your security procedures in light of the miracle if you were the yes. So, okay. although interesting, um, scientists uh, this past month again another bit of news that's just come out at the wrong time as far as torture is concerned have developed um, a biometric reader that will scan your fingerprint and cannot be fooled by dead flesh it has to be a living mm. living tissue well after the miracle it, it wouldn't be yeah, a problem this is true very good point I think it's a little bit odd that there's only one man who can actually yes. get into this server room which, which is a huge huge server room is he on 24-hour call or something? I wonder if they just need a basic technical job then. Yeah, that did strike me as slightly odd, to say the least. And here we have them gearing up for the heist with the blasted things. Literally blasted. <laughs> yes. Flambe. What do you think of the use of the I-5s, you know, the alien contact lenses in this series, as compared to uh, Children of Earth? Um, well, it's becoming a convenient pop device. It's acquired the new ability of faking retina scan- yeah, scans. Yeah, this is precisely what put the question in my head. Um, they do seem to you know, be evolving as the plot dictates. Yeah, I guess that's the danger with this super alien tech 
uh, you get function creep. Mm. Uh, the same as with the sonic screwdriver. No longer does it just unlock doors. No. Uh, it hasn't done, it's done far more yeah. <laughs> for a very long time. See, in Children of Earth, again, this, is, this was another great improvement to Children of Earth over the first two series. Torchwood, an organisation that had spent a century cultivating and adapting and studying alien technology for the uses of uh, the British Crown and the Empire, for two years they never actually really used any alien technology mm. themselves, and certainly not to better any, anyone's yeah. life. Um, whereas suddenly Children of Earth, you know, there it was, they had some alien technology, and it was yeah. just what they'd been able to carry with them, and it was they were using it well, and it was nicely plotted, and it was nicely utilised. Um, and now Gwen has sort of kept them for no particular reason other than that they will come in handy at some point in, later on in the plot. And as you say, function creep has set in and it's... We, we also changed. just had another scene with Esther and uh, the whole... Uh, her whole subplot and the children and yes. checking up on them. <laughs> what do you think of Gwen's... Oh. Reef. Um, <laughs> a little bit too much on the lippy, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit severe. <laughs> and that dress is not the most flattering. Sorry, Gwen. It's good to see that this torture is complete, as every bit as unprofessional as the original team. <laughs> They're not just Torchwood, they're CIA and Torchwood. They should know <laughs> doubly better. They should indeed. Yvonne Pallister. Is that a reference to the thing? I was just wondering if that name had any particular significance. I suppose she couldn't get away with Toshiko Sato. <laughs> Though Jack, Jack got away with Owen Harper. Oh, well, Owen Harper, yes. That's, that's, that's a name that he could reasonably have what was Susie's last name from series one Costello Susie Costello she could call herself Susie Costello I suspect the name has bad memories though yeah so we've got the sort of uh, rent a heist sequence, break-in mm. sequence thing, which is fine as far as these things go, yeah, but yeah. it's a bit off the bag. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't do anything too unexpected, does it? It doesn't even use all four team members, because the other two, well, Rex comes into it later, I know, but mm. Esther spends most of her time uh, on the phone crying. <laughs> oh really you're terrible how did you get into the CIA let alone torture ah uh, yeah and what did you expect would happen when you phoned child protection agency to report your sister although again going back to that very first scene perhaps she was just striking out at her sister and hadn't mm. thought through the ramifications I was talking to my dad. Can't even remember. I don't, don't often talk to my dad about things like torture because he, he doesn't watch them at all. <laughs> but um, 
I, I, and I, was, I was telling my mum, my father happened to be there, um, I was telling her that this week's episode was, was a bit better than the previous one because, you know, talks were actually going on a heist and had to break into a top secret server room that's got this high security. And my dad said, why don't they just set off the fire alarm and sneak in when I was looking? And I said, ah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what they did to <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, yeah. It's a good job that it doesn't do uh, something like throw out a random number for him to uh, say into the thing or anything like that. Yes. Seeing so lots of white, shiny, high techy stuff. And another another thing that uh, I mean. It did. Uh, I did wonder. Well, would their data farm necessarily be in a, some big office uh, building? Because if it's a big mm. corporation, uh, it could easily have all their things in a secure location yes. offsite. If if they're an alien conspiracy, they could have everything on a mothership in orbit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I mean, we we still don't know exactly what FICOR's role is. They could be being used or manipulated mm. without really understanding what it is they're dealing with. Oh, you see, see now everyone is phoning everyone for a chat. I didn't think all this dialogue about Gwen's father was particularly effective. Having seen him... In episode one, and mm. yeah, he's turned up in previous episode in previous series of Tortured as well. I was a little disappointed that he just gets talked about and never seen. Again, this yeah. is where I think the narrative should have gone to Cardiff for some of these scenes and actually followed Reese in the hospital as he's there with Gwen's father, trying to get mm. things worked out. I guess part of that is just the restrictions they had on filming in Wales that. Um, mm. Uh, they were working against that but yeah I, I agree it, it would have been more effective if that had been uh, given more of a role but given what happens at the end yes, uh, I'm yes. guessing that we will have more action back mm. in Cardiff it will uh, be more more important and Gwen's family will uh, play play that role And uh, internationally as well, beyond mm. Cardiff and uh, beyond the United States, if, uh, mm. if what we're told is correct. And Comedy Henchman gets his moment. I, I do like the idea, though, um, that you get later of the assassin being rather worried that he might be out of a job uh, with the mirror. Yes, it's quite it's quite an introspective assassin, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Why if... don't they just sack Esther then and there? <laughs> Let's face it, her her job is basically to watch YouTube videos. At her desk. Well, 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 she's the one sort of allowing them to make all the pointless phone calls as well. This is true. Yeah. You went outside in broad daylight and 
Found your husband internationally. Oh, that's fine. We've all got family somewhere. It's behind you. <laughs> yeah. One random question. Yes. Why has Jack suddenly lost the ability to teleport? Because they were complaining that they had to drive across country yes. in a car at the start of this episode. And we assume that his vortex manipulator still allows him to teleport because he's had to come back to Earth. Now, he could have hitched a lift, but uh, hmm. he teleported off Earth at the end of yeah. uh, the last series. And he's obviously been planet hopping because he had that brief cameo um, in the end of time. Yeah, well, presumably it's broken for reasons of plot. Just because it would be too much of a convenient plot device. This guy might actually have been in Chuck. (laughs) And I'm sure Chuck had a raid on a server room at one point. (laughs) Even Gwen realises that he's a stock-in-trade character. That's where this episode goes quite some way to redeeming itself. When even Torch would sort of give each other knowing glances and go, oh, he's one of these henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> We've dealt with them before. Yeah, the philosophical assassin. Mm. If I have no one to kill, what will I do? <laughs> I've always wanted to go into drapery. <laughs> Interior design. <laughs> that's, that's Jack making everyone gay again. There's a... Um, from the comic strip which is uh, with uh, Davros the early years in a charity collection <laughs> walking through eternity and in which the Doctor convinces uh, Davros to take up interior design why yes the palette to match colours in uh, uh, in coordinated ways uh, to make rooms pretty and nice that power would set me up above the gods <laughs> it's good to see that Esther by the way the moment that's just flown past Esther had the startling insight to prompt Gwen to ask who's employing him it's <laughs> nice to know the CIA training is uh, is quite so rigorous <laughs> so you're a hired assassin hmm Perhaps we should ask who hired him. Yeah, and we we get more ominous dialogue. They are. And Rex struggling up the stairs with his injury. Again, it is nice to see that the injury is finally playing a mm. significant part in the action of the plot yes. as well, as opposed to just in the implications. Again, it seems to be hinting that uh, Jack has some connection, some involvement mm. in things. What, what did you give them so long ago? And in some of the publicity, it has said that it... Um, it covers uh, a span of time as well that we see not just 
this time, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that involves. Oh, right. but, okay. So yeah. my, my guess the other week that the Vortex Manipulator was going to come into play could well be hmm. born I, out there. Either that or flashbacks or... Oh. Despite all the hokiness, this is actually building up a good head of tension. Mm, yeah. When they've actually got down to the discussion, it does prove quite effective. And I am, uh, I still don't really have a uh, working theory of uh, who, who, why the miracle has taken place, what's the purpose of it. Mm. it is, there is that mystery still. <laughs> and uh, shooting him at just the wrong moment. Yeah. And then he is. <laughs> now no, the name is the half. They <laughs> were so disappointed with their role in that one episode of Doctor Who. Now, if they... only, if only they had uh, some technology that could lip read. Oh yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, you'd think you could drag him with you and sort of give him pen and paper. I mean, he might not be entirely cooperative, but um, under the circumstances, it doesn't entirely stop you from trying to get answers no, out of him. So Oswald's back on top. I, I did find the whole idea of Oswald becoming the one true voice of the people um, again. Um, yes, it's like Gary Glitter becoming the one true voice <laughs> of the people, isn't it? It's mm, a bit of a stretch. Yeah, the one true representative. Really? I, c I can sort of understand him becoming a prominent figure. Yes. Uh, a major with lots of attention, but I don't think there's enough of sense of just how controversial yes. he'd be. I think, just how much of a polarising figure. Yeah, I think, and this is a trick I think they missed with the um, Tea Party mm. character. Uh, they need to set someone up in direct opposition to him to say, well, yeah, this man is a murderer, mm. <laughs> a paedophile, and he does not speak for me. Um, mm. yeah, something just to, as you say, polarise uh, the public. Everyone seems to have jumped on the Oswald bandwagon very quickly. Yeah. She has a passing resemblance to uh, a sort of older Jessica Hines. She does, you're right. She really does. Who was, of course, um, uh, what's her name in uh, The Family of Blood? Yes, yes. Uh, and in yeah. space and... Mm. this voice sounds suspiciously like Morgan Freeman <laughs> I'm sure it's not but it really does sound like him mm. yeah, and, but contrast this voice with, with the comedy henchman yeah, this, this quite cheery affable you know, delivery with a southern twang it's uh... <laughs> Families will rise. Our first mention of uh, a name behind the conspiracy. Families? Could it be the Slivine? <laughs> oh. Can you imagine? 
fans would take to the streets <laughs> if it turned out to be the sleeping. And yeah, that shot of the eyeball in uh, the crest thing. That's, that's an effectively creepy moment at mm. the end there. Just morbid. Now, um, I've been reading Pandora's Star by Peter F. Hamilton, which is oh, sitting yeah. on the table, but one of the things you have in there is that humanity's discovered the secret of rejuvenation mm. uh, but in that you've got these ruling families that are incredibly powerful because the heads of them don't die off and mm. so they just expand, just accumulate knowledge over mm. centuries and, and centuries a- accumulate uh, new uh, a new gen- each new generation is just added and uh, degrees of seniority depending on how closely related yeah. to it's almost like a feudal system within the same family isn't mm. it? Do, you, do you think that Miracle Day could go off world do you think we'll get a glimpse of an alien planet because um, that would be quite a radical yeah, that would be counterpoint really... to what we've had so far it would be really nice um, to do that I'm but I think without any alien inva- element, explicit alien element so far, mm. it might be a bit too much of a shift. If it happened, I don't think it would happen until the last yeah. episode it, or two. I, I, I think it would depend on how they develop it. If mm. they bring an alien element to the forefront in the next few episodes, it could work. But uh, it's yeah, it would be a quite a big shift from the first half of the series so far and Reese running out and like you say this would be a lot more effective uh, if you'd been following Reese if you'd seen her father in this Mm. episode But uh, yeah, a, a good a good cliffhanger, making it personal. Yes, and the next time trailer, this straight to camera delivery from Gwen, um, yeah, a message for whoever finds it after the end has come. Very very reminiscent, of course, of um, Children of Earth, where they did the same thing, mm. and it is hinting at a really major twist, isn't it? That, uh, mm. that Fycorp isn't <laughs> the big bad at all. And that uh, the series could be heading in a very different direction. I'd be very interested to see what happens with that. Mm. Very promising. We've been saying it for four weeks. (laughs) But all the pieces seem to be in place, and next week I think it really could hit its stride. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And I do think. it's on a upward trend, I think. Hmm. Uh, even though it had the somewhat generic elements, it did seem to just mesh that bit better yes. this week. Than... This, this, I enjoyed this an awful lot more on a second viewing, actually. Hmm. So, so yeah, I, uh, um, I think uh, a good. Again, another step in the right, 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 right direction. Uh, it's, um, yeah, not <laughs> still not quite where I'd like it to be, but it, um, it's it's keeping keeping my hope alive. I think we should just mention um, briefly 
the news that Stars haven't committed to a further series mm, yes, in the US, the, despite the fact that I think um, Miracle Day has given the network, if not its highest ratings ever, then certainly very strong ratings. Um, and I think the BBC are quite happy with the ratings that they've been getting thus far because they're comparable with Children mm. of Earth, aren't they? Because I, I think one of the releases said that it depends in part on what uh, Russell T Davies wants to do, um, and basically they want him back on board. Yes. Uh, but he wants to go off and write Cucumber, his drama about more um, gay men. Um, so where the Russell T Davies... Dare, dare I ask where the Cucumber features? In that? <laughs> uh, that's the title. Ah, OK, right. Uh, but... Uh, Yes, apparently he's working on on this uh, dra- mm. drama comedy. Or, um, mm. So, yeah. Uh, but he has hinted that he would be happy to do more Torchwood, hasn't he? Well, I think he said the last he was saying was that he felt he'd left it in good health and would like to move on oh, to really? oh. other things. So, You see, I, I, I think, strangely, considering that he was the man who brought back Doctor Who... Um, Doctor Who we always knew would be able to survive without Russell T Davis and one mm-hmm. day he would hand over to somebody else uh, but that was, had always been the nature of the show anyway it regenerated yes. production crews as often as it did Doctors um, whereas Torchwood I feel is far more closely tied to Russell um, I find it harder to imagine Torchwood continuing at least in the same format and with the same cast without him now that's not to say that it couldn't change and evolve into something else and continue but, uh, yeah. Um, um, so yes, its future is very much in question. Yeah, and I think the re- reviews and the reception has been a bit mixed. So I think a somewhat ambivalent reaction is fairly typical yeah. uh, and obviously there's some people who like it a lot more and some people who uh, hate it a lot more mm. uh, but uh, it hasn't won the um, universal praise no. that Children of Earth did uh, it's not must see television is it? no oh, okay. well, well we'll see how things develop over the next couple of weeks yes so stay tuned uh, we'll be uh, back soon with more tortured coverage, uh, and we'll be uh, back with more on Doctor Who as it returns. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more commentaries plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.